It's the Breakcast. Breakcast. Thepopbreak.com. Breakcast. Breakcast. Listen to the show. Because you're in for the Popbreak.com. Breakcast. Breakcast. Oh, This is Marissa Carpigo, the film editor at thepopbreak.com. I'm here with Sean Cordy. Um, he went to Fantastic Fest in uh, Austin, um, put on by the Alamo Drafthouse Mondo sort of world um, last weekend, and we are going to talk about everything he saw. Um, we're going to do some a little Halloween talk, uh, Suspiria at some point. Um, he's one of the few people who's seen it, and um, he's, we're going to talk about it because I'm very excited about it. Uh, Sean, you want to say hello? Hey, y'all. What's up? <laughs> um, so I am, again, just a, as, as with last time talking to Matt Taylor about TIFF, I am just the, the eager listener here to hear about all of the movies that I didn't get to see and I'm very jealous that I didn't get to see. Um, so, Sean, what do you, what's the, you have a number of uh, reviews online. You have um, Suspiria is one of them, which is very exciting. Um, and the new Allison Williams picture um, that you seem pretty excited about, actually, um, and a number of other things. What do you? What would you like to talk about first? Well, we might as well start with the opening of the fest. It was perfect for if it wasn't going to be a, a secret screening like people thought it was. Mm-hmm. It ended up being there, Halloween. Yep. The much anticipated forty-year sequel, which I believe is the first movie to be the have a sequel then the same as the original, <laughs> which is kind of strange. Which I think works on a lot of ways that it's not just a sequel, it's a movie on its own. Mm-hmm. If you separate it from the Michael Myers story from 1978, it feels exactly the same, but in a modern setting. Mm-hmm. I, as a, an unabashed fan of the original though, I have to say I was kind of disappointed about 60 minutes through, and it wasn't until this one shot, and people will, people that have seen the original, they'll notice the callback mm-hmm. to Michael Myers' falling off the building and it's automatic he's gone and now they flip that to jamie lee curtis and it clicks right away you know exactly what they're going for this is a story about your nightmare coming back to haunt you and you turning it on yourself and running away for the better it's a perfect movie for the me too movement Mm -hmm. i wasn't able to ask danny mcbride or any of the other writers there what the implications were what they were going for if this was an influence, but it, it appears to be released at the perfect time. Right, okay. Bringing um, back a slasher movie is fantastic. Yeah, right. I, I, we actually have a, a review coming up uh, that should be up by the time this is this is out um, by Tom Moore about Hellfest, and he sort of laments the, the, the absence of the slasher film for a number of years, or at least good ones. Um, do you think this is, like, going to reignite the genre in a way? Um, I hope if anyone does it, it's going to be Blumhouse mm-hmm. because they seem to have a good handle on it. Yeah. And one of my main problems that I had, and I've kind of come to terms with it, is that the first Halloween, there's zero blood. It's all left off screen. Yeah. It's all to your imagination. Yeah. And you can even see in the trailer for this one that they're going for a completely different direction here. Yeah. There's head stomps, there's slashes, there's cutthroats. It's every, everything that people come to expect from 21st century horror. 
but it seems appropriate that we're in a time where we can't fathom just imagining things. We're in a, a time where we're kind of worrying about more real things. So yeah. seeing Michael Martin actually 40 years after he's been locked up in prison for that long, finally be able to re- release what he's what's been pent up, it's it's a little bit jarring, but it, it works. Okay. I'm quite excited about that. I mean, I like the first Halloween, and I don't. I confess I haven't seen all of the sequels, um, but I, I suspect not everyone, most people haven't. Um, but I've, I had a friend uh, compare it to um, H2O, which is sort of has a similar thing going on, but she has like a son, and it's about uh, the Jamie Lee Curtis character uh, sort of flipping the script and and being empowered did you did you have you seen h2o and did you feel that way at all i have not seen h2o and as much as i say i'm a fan of the of the series i'm actually just a fan of the original okay i've not really seen the sequels since well you know what you you can only put up with so much trash you know (laughs) right i've heard good things about the third but uh, i gotta gotta watch a few other things yeah um I, I'm excited about that, for sure. And the buzz has been pretty good out of um, most of the festivals it's been screened at, because it's been screened at that one, and it's also been screened at, um, oh, where was it? I think it was TIFF. Yeah, it was TIFF, because Matt got to see that as well. Um, yes. Yeah, I'm excited about that. How, she, he, he and I are big Judy Greer fans. How did you feel about Judy Greer in it? Oh, I love Judy Greer. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm definitely not in the same fan level as Matt. I know he says, like, if you have to listen to top five actors... Yeah. She's probably on it. Yeah. Uh, but she's she's good. She serves her purpose as a... I, she's very believable as Laurie Strode's daughter, mm-hmm. as an estranged daughter. Uh, and I feel like it's a, it works on a three-tier level. You have a grandparent, you have a, the mother, and the grand granddaughter. Mm-hmm. And it, it's all of their stories in one. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that separates this. And I'm one person that thinks that Nancy from Nightmare on Elm Street is the best final girl. I think Lori Strode comes full circle here, and I think she makes a case for herself. All right. Oh. For people that have already said, many people think so, but I have my own issues with the first one as a feminist icon that people might be misinterpreting, but here she's everything people think she is. Yeah. That's an interesting point, though. I mean, she definitely is a little more passive. The more I watch it, I totally agree that she she is more passive than I would like as I get older. Do, do, you know what I, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I would love to yeah. see... A, like. You know, Sydney Prescott's my girl, and she like she'll jump out of a fucking house window two stories up. Like I'd never do that. I'd just get murdered. Um, so yeah, I don't. I, that's that's a great point, and I'm excited to see that. Honestly, um, what's the um, the girl who plays the granddaughter? How is she? And and I can't quite remember her name right now. Her name is Annie Matichek. Mm. Uh, if I'm pronouncing that last name right, but I think she's. I don't think I've seen her in much, uh, but I was impressed with her. Okay. All right. Um, what did you see after that? How, how many? How many? You said you saw thirteen films total, right? Yes, yeah, thirteen films total. Yeah. Okay. Over five days span. Um, what would you give? Like, uh, you know, let's let's say not to pressure you, but what's like a rough rating for Halloween? Uh, you know, uh, overall as a as a film, or or even as of the things that you saw at the festival. It's in the top five that I saw at the fest for sure. Okay. I'd probably give it a 7.5 to 8. Okay, that's strong. All right, excited to see it. Um, what else did you see while you were there? So directly after that, I 
I went to write my review, but then after that I went to a midnight screening for a surprise addition to the fest, starring Allison Williams and Logan Browning, mm. called The Perfection. Mm -hmm. And it was very secretive. They released one image of Logan and Allison playing cello. Mm -hmm. I read one bit of the synopsis, and it immediately sounded like just a, a whiplash kind of deal, where Allison Williams is looking for a mentor that she used to be with, and is looking to get back in the game after being away for some time. Mm. And as the title implies, they're looking for perfection. Okay. This movie completely blew me away. I don't want to give many details at all because it's, it's a comedy, it's a dark comedy, but it's a thriller and it's a horror movie and it's everything in between. It flips genres back and forth. Mm. It's absolutely passion crazy. And I fell in love with it. It might be my favorite movie of the summer that I've seen. I mean, it's not going to be released in the summer, but it's one of my favorite movies I've seen all year. Wow. Hopefully it gets released in time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I had never heard a damn thing about it, and then I, I sort of saw how excited you were about it, and I was like, wow, that, that sounds fantastic. And I, I very much like Allison Williams, and this is this would only be her second film, right? I think so. She's probably. I think she's been in a couple small things before Get Out. Just like no, no. Get Get Out. I think was actually her first. Um, was her first film, like her very first film. Um, sure, but uh, it's so hard to relate to that just because uh, being on Girls for so long and the <laughs> League and other things she was in. She she seems like a staple. Yeah. Right. No, she's but, done a lot of TV work, but I I believe she was very very careful about her first like actual film, and I'm yeah. Uh, I'm just going through her uh, IMDb page again really quick and Get Out is the first actual film. Wow. Well, yeah. she is setting a trend for herself as untrustworthy <laughs> uh, characters that you want to root against. <laughs> and she plays the type well. Uh, yeah. I mean, I she's wonderful in Get Out. Because she comes off as this really clean and great character to begin with just like she didn't get out mm -hmm. and then you about 20 minutes into the movie you start realizing different motivations but this totally flips the script and I, I had the chance to speak with her and the director Richard uh, Shepard mm -hmm. who was one of the directors with her on Girls Yeah. so that's where their creative partnership came about and he specifically cast her in this which was a perfect role for her and she helped really shape the character she was talking about and I asked her what she might think about or how she was sold on this character that feels so much like an extension from her Get Out character. She said that she felt that was, she did this purposely, that she wants people to not trust her and say, oh, she's just an evil, crazy girl. Mm -hmm. and so even as an extension of Get Out, it works. Yeah. Not playing with the same themes, but after, I have to say, after watching Halloween, it's another movie, great extension of the Me Too movement. Hmm. Uh, surprisingly. Yeah. That might give away too much, but once again, I think it's a movie that can't totally be ruined because there's so many layers to it. Yeah. Well, I think I think you're right. I, I think it's inevitable um, that a lot of things are being influenced by the Me Too movement. I mean, you know, it starts in Hollywood, realistically, so it, I think that's, it's hard not to read a lot into, uh, of that into a lot of things these days. I mean, I, you know, I read that into Support the Girls in a lot of ways, uh, a lot of ways, and at which you saw it, um, Fantastic Fest last year, or when did you see it? I forget. Uh, South by. South by, of course. Um, yeah, and and that felt like such a Me Too movie, and it really wasn't technically written that way. It just happened to be feeling that moment that everyone was feeling. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I, I'm very excited about that. And you have a, a review of that already up on the site, and you're you're working on getting out um, that uh, interview to everyone, right? Yeah, I'm hoping to get that out. Uh, we'll see when that goes out. If it, look, hopefully it gets dis- distribution, and yeah. we'll see where that goes. But yeah. there's a lot of interesting things to go, especially considering Allison and Richard worked together before. Yeah. Something to really look at what their girls work compared to this. It's yeah. Very, very interesting. Yeah. No, I love, I mean, it's fantastic to hear that she's sort of like very carefully choosing where, where her career goes because it's, she, she seems very sharp. Every time she's been in something, she's always very interesting and, and you know there's a lot going on there and, and it, she could have easily gotten typecast as a certain type of person after Girls and it's, it's smart to sort of, you know, um, Tr- actively try to work against that, and I'm I'm excited to see what she does next. Honestly, everything I really like her a lot. I am full on board, and Logan Browning too, spectacular. And I, I remember right after the Q and A, she actually had to go through an audition process, going through hundreds of girls, <laughs> and to see a person of her caliber go through that, dear white people, mm-hmm. being one of the best shows of the past couple of years. Yeah, uh, they work spectacularly together. Um, and then I also have to give a shout out to uh, Stephen Weber, known from Wings, plays completely against type here. Hmm. Uh, it, he has a very good dark side, but he's he's, uh, he's got funny moments too. But like I said, it's a dark comedy, but turns into some really crazy stuff. Yeah, Logan Browning is someone else I feel like has been around all the time because she's done like loads of television. Um, and like every time I've ever seen her in anything, she's been so engaging. So it's exciting to hear that she's getting something sort of prestigious and and really interesting to sort of chew on. Mm-hmm. Oh, and also hearing that they shot this thing in 23 days. Oh, and shit. And these are people that have ever, never played cello. What? So they had to do that. And there's one scene where they have to play it together, uh, one hand each. Yeah. It's spectacular. Oh, wow. I don't know how they did it. But it works. They're not going to full time cruise mode here, <laughs> in all that in that short amount of time. But it's very impressive. How much sexual subtext is there in that scene? <laughs> uh, that's a very interesting scene. <laughs> and I say maybe you could read into a bit. Okay, all right. There's a lot more explicit. Oh. Uh, that comes before. Okay, all right. Um, let's see. Uh, so that was the second movie you saw, right? Yes, that's the second. Okay. Uh, and that's just day one, right? That was the opening night. Okay. Yep. Wow. Man, busy man. Um, so uh, tell me about day two, or the, your first full day, I guess. Uh, yeah, so day two, I saw a couple things earlier on, small indies, nothing. We don't know about distribution or if they're even going to get out yet. Yeah. But the main attraction of the night was Apostle, mm. Gareth Evans' follow-up to the Raid series. Right, right. Starring the wonderful Dan Stevens and a Russell Crowe-like Michael Sheen. Oh. <laughs> what, what makes him Russell, Russell Crowe-like? He definitely put on some, some weight, and he's got, if you look at it from a distance, you'd think that he was Russell Crowe shepherding out New Zealand or something. Uh, but he's got this he's got this more growly uh, type of voice than he does, I'd say, yeah. Masters of Sex or 30 Rock. Yeah. He's definitely more intense than he's got this you know, okay. he's got this great old man vibe that you haven't seen from before okay um, and he plays this cult leader of 
this 19th or 20, mid 20th century uh, British cult, kind of like a Wicker Man thing. And Dan Stevens is sent to go get his sister, that, which was kidnapped by their cult as a sacrifice of sorts to try to uh, pay respects to their god that, or their goddess that maintains the land fruitful and keeps feeding the cult. Wow. Very, then, very Wicker Man. Yeah. It, the setup is very Wicker Man, and then it turns into something a bit unexpected if you thought it was just a Wicker Man reboot. Okay. Because Dan Stevens isn't completely sacrificed and tortured the whole time. It, it goes through a series of accusations against other people beyond him. Uh, the cult leader, Michael Sheen, believes there's someone that's infiltrated, but Dan Stevens is able to convince him that he's not it, and oh. a few other people get uh, caught up along the way. But it does end in a glorious fashion of uh, torture porn, if you would. If you're in that uh, if, you, if you're a fan of that kind of genre, it, this movie is definitely up your alley. It's super weird in the last in the last act, but it's uh, totally gruesome. Yeah, gruesome tale. Yeah, you you have a review for that up on the website as well, and then um, that's coming out on Netflix on October 12th, which I'm very yeah, excited about because I love Dan Stevens, and uh, this sounds honestly right up my alley. I love. The original Wicker Man, and yeah, this sounds great. Uh, the, the paranoia thing is—is that—does that at all feel um, like sort of '70s films from the time, or like that—that that, the sort of milieu that Wicker Man came out in? There was a lot of paranoia around in film at that point. Does it feel sort of like a throwback, or is it very modern in, in, in your sort of estimation? Well, considering its setting, being like at the turn of the century. Mm-hmm. You obviously see it's old, but it feels very modern in its, mm-hmm. its uh, narrative and what it's really trying to accomplish. The biggest thing I walked away with beyond Dan Stevens and Michael Shane's performances, which I found fantastic, was just the world building in general. Just it's a it's a more supernatural movie than you would expect. Mm-hmm. I went in without knowing any of that, but there's definitely some some vibes in there that feel more like a modern flourish than you would have seen in the 70s. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, uh, what else did you see that day? So the next, the only other thing I saw after that was the South Korean uh, foreign language Oscar not, uh, submission, mm-hmm. uh, Burning, yeah. starring Stephen Young. Uh, I'm awful with Asian names. <laughs> I will not try to attempt to pronounce them. Okay. Uh, but in general, I mean, beyond Stephen Young, uh, they're all still fantastic. And I, I've commented this before online. I hope this movie catches some ground beyond just the film fans. I hope it gets some, some what of a major release that people fall in love with it and start a fan theory online because it's a, <laughs> it's a mystery. And I went in without knowing it's a mystery film. And it leaves on a note where there's no closure. And Stephen Young, after the Q&A, or during the Q&A, said the director is the only one that knows the answer. Wow. And I think, I've talked to about 10 people at, at Fantastic Fest, and we all have similar ideas of what happened, And but I have my own unique one that I've developed that I really think is right, and I hope other people share the same thing. Uh, the basic plot is, it's kind of loner, uh, just graduated from college, he's a liberal arts, creative uh, writing 
major. Mm-hmm. And he's struggling to find jobs, just doing part-time jobs, and runs into a former neighbor, childhood neighbor and high schooler. And they start going out, dating each other, and starts falling for her. She goes away for vacation and then comes back with Stephen Young attached to her arm. So then it becomes this dynamic of fighting between possible love interests and those two developing somewhat of a bromance. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, this love interest disappears. And it's just Stephen Young and the leading actor. Hmm. And we don't know, we're all suspicious if Stephen's character was the one that did something to her because he's the last one that saw her. And it just turns into this whole theory from the main character trying to figure out what happened to to his who he thought was the one for him. Hmm. And just this really contentious relationship builds. Oh. And beyond that, it's a very political film. It's right along the North Korean border. Mm-hmm. And speaking with Stephen afterwards, he was talking about that might be something that's lost on American viewers, is that the closer you are to the border, the more contentious relationship you have with it. Right. And our main character's father is, was just imprisoned and right by the DMZ, and he has a really conflicted worldview and this burning sense of rage that's underlying the whole movie. So it, the title plays on a metaphorical term sense, but it's also quite quite physical, too. Yeah. No, you mentioned that in um, in the review on the site, the sort of... Um the way it's it's in some ways like a veiled political metaphor, even the personal stuff, and, and that sounds I mean that sounds fantastic. That's been on um, not to make a terrible pun, um, but that that played at TIFF as well, and I and um, Matt saw that, and I'm I'm very excited for that. I hadn't heard about it um, up until the, all these festivals, and it seems very interesting. I hope that gets a bigger release. I mean I I live in New York, so I'll probably get to see it no matter. I'll just go to whatever theater, but. Yeah, hopefully that'll end up uh, in theaters in a wide-ish release or if, at the very least on some streaming service so that people can get a look at it. I hope that at the very least it gets an Oscar nomination. Mm-hmm. I, I, considering I haven't seen the whole field yet, but I was shocked to learn South Korea's never had an, an Oscar nomination. That, that is like actually Christmas. insane because Korean films are, I mean, there, there's a number of them that are very good. I, you know, every, I, a lot of them that I've seen, I've very much enjoyed. And they have a really... They're usually too obscure, though. And this one yeah. is straight drama. I hope that helps. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, it's, it's, there's some culturally specific stuff, but it's also very accessible and it's sort of like mystical or, you know horror thriller sort of thing is there um do you think it has any sort of um you know true crimey kind of stuff or crime uh genre in general fictional or are not um it's kind of having a moment for the last couple of years is there something that you would compare it to so people sort of have an idea what they're jumping into is it like the jinx or you know american vandal <laughs> you know what I mean? the, of the two things on the spectrum I won't say it's close to either one of those. I think it might be a little bit misleading mm-hmm. as a mystery because it, there's no crime actually committed. We don't even know if there is. Yeah, okay. Um, that's the main thing. The mystery is, is was there a crime and then two, mm-hmm. who committed the crime? Mm-hmm. So there's it's just tracking the daily life of the main character and beyond, just, everything else is just on the side. Mm-hmm. And so I won't say it, it's a 
crime story like we've seen. Okay, interesting. All right. So it's more psychological then, you'd say? Yeah, okay. I'd say so. All right. And it's, to go back as far with the, the Oscars, though, I think Stephen Young being a mainstream American actor mm. really puts us in a level that we could see a push go. Yeah. And his performance is actually fantastic, even though after Reacher translation, he he's just slightly off as an American Korean or Korean American. Yeah. Compared to the native Koreans that he's with. Yeah. Uh, it works for his character, and the director was really smart to cast him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's wonderful, and that that is interesting to sort of make him this sort of uh, otherizing force in a in in that film because he he is such a big deal in America. Yeah, that's exciting. I like him a lot. I mean, he he's been he's always interesting, and like you know, he's he's had a very good year. It was sorry to bother you. Had a um, that mm-hmm. sort of smaller role, but he was so compelling in that. Um, so yeah, this I mean, hope that'd be wonderful if he sort of even if it. If he, if he doesn't get awards attention necessarily, maybe it'll push him into an even higher echelon. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. maybe we'll put him in some more um, some more uh, awards films, which would be great. I would love to see more of him. Totally. So that's the last thing I saw at that night. Okay. But it was absolutely fantastic. One of my favorites of this fest. All right. So what did you see on uh, day three, as it were? So day three was a little bit light. I only went to a 5 o'clock and an 8 o'clock screening, both were pretty good. One I was more disappointed with, and another one completely surprised because I thought the trailers were just awful. Mm. So Hold the Dark is the first one. Oh, right. And the trailer for that one I thought was spectacular. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of Jeremy Saulnier, mm-hmm. put Jeffrey Wright in any movie, and Alexander Skarsgård is, to me, a top five actor in the world right now. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> We have a review for that, not from you on the site, but um, from, um, who is that? I believe it's Ben Murchison, I think. Or no, it's, was it George? Um, yeah, it's George. Yeah, it's George. But uh, yeah, we have that on the site, and he, he seemed to really enjoy it as well, and actually talked about how much he liked um, Skarsgård. Um, he plays a sort of, a, a kind of a nutso, right? Like, he's a, he's a little off, I guess. He is, and... He just proves himself as one of the finest mute actors out there. <laughs> He's very silent. I mean, no pun on the first movie he had this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's so physical, just works with his eyes more than anything, more than any other actor I've seen recently. Yeah. Uh, he's very deliberate. I love his pacing. He's my favorite thing of the movie. Yeah. I liked it, and I think I could make myself sound like I liked it more and that's the thing that's frustrating is because I left kind of left cold and it's set in Alaska and it's this really dark brooding uh, nihilistic film Mm -hmm. so it's understandable I left that way but it it didn't feel like it accomplished really what it set out for everyone else around me seemed to be really liking it but this is festival people are more prone to like stuff sure I've seen some good things online uh First movie's death has a pretty good interpretation, but I, I don't feel as much of a connection with the, the tale of their, the morbidity and the, the sense of violence. I'd say if anyone wants to know basic plot, it's kind of, here's the pun that they pitched, it's, it's snow country for old men. Hmm. So it's so basically a Coen Brothers movie, but set in Alaska. Hmm. Jeffrey Wright plays this guy that's hired by uh, Riley. I, I can never pronounce your last name. Keo. Keo. Yeah. 
she to track down this wolf that took her son away, her infant son, and kill him, kill the wolf like he did uh, for another family decades ago. Hmm. And then it turns into this mystery of, well, now where's the mother? She left, and it appears that she has now, she was the one that actually killed her kid. Oof. And Jeez. Alexander Skarsgård comes back from the war looking for revenge against her. Okay. Um, so is she not in it that much? Because I really, again, another actress I think is really interesting and in, in who appears every once in a while, but oddly has never had as... I mean, she did a TV show many years ago, or a couple of years ago, um, but otherwise... Girlfriend experience? Yeah, girlfriend experience. But otherwise, she's she sort of is... I don't know, she was always like a side character, and I always end up wanting more of her. Uh, yeah, she still hasn't hit that lead actress spot yet. Oh. Not with this one, at least. Yeah. Uh, she comes in looking like she's going to be this main figure that's going to be working side alongside Jeffrey Wright, but turns out she ditches the movie about 30 minutes in. That's a shame. Oh. Uh, I don't feel it gives away too much because what follows is pretty uh, it's suspenseful and it's a very deep mystery. And I'll drop a hint. I don't want to be as direct as the writer, uh, on Blair, mm -hmm. and Jeremy were after the movie, but there is a closer relation between the father and mother than you might expect. Oh, dear. <laughs> well, that sounds... I, I've, everything I've heard about it makes me interested to see it, but it does feel um, like it's it should be getting more of like an awards push than it is, but it definitely just sort of like came out to very little fanfare uh, like last week or a few days ago. Um, and it seems like something that should be like everyone's talking about, but it, it unfortunately there it does doesn't seem like the studio doesn't have too much confidence in it, and maybe that's yeah it's probably reflective of why you, you know the same thing that you think about it of it being quite good but not quite good enough for what it is. Yeah, it has everything. All the all the elements are pretty great. I mean, Jeffrey Wright is always great. I've already sung my praises for Skarsgård, mm -hmm. who I think I might be penciling in for. Uh, one of my favorite performances of the year, yeah. top five, top ten or so. Yeah. And the cinematography is great, and they don't use any any CGI for the wolves that they use. It's all shot on location. Wow. So it all feels very real. They somehow were able to wrangle up some wolves by throwing up some chicken breasts and <laughs> try to get them to eat it <laughs> and make it look real. But there's a spectacular set piece in, in the middle of the movie that's Pretty great. And uh, James Batch Dale's also in it, who's always great in everything that he's in. Apparently he played three cops in three movies at Fantastic Fest. Wow. The only one that I saw then, but seems to be typecast each year. Wow. Uh, yeah, but, that's quite a... Anyway. What a year. Yeah. Also, wow, no trained yeah. wolves. That's that's bold. Jesus. <laughs> the yeah, insurance bold, on that movie. <laughs> um, crazy. So what, what else did you end up seeing that day? Or what, the other one you said you weren't you didn't like very much, right? Yeah, so I went into the potential Cloverfield movie oh. that everyone hoped that it was back in February, and then J.J. Mm. Abrams said it wasn't. That's Overlord. Right. And then I was still hoping that he was just playing coy and yeah. being facetious with us. I was hoping that there was a real chance this actually was. Because there is a, a post-credits. No, that's another movie that had a post-credits scene. We were hoping that there was some tag at the end that because yeah. it's a really damn fun movie. Yeah. Overlord exceeded all expectations. I said it was either going to be great or it's going to be trash. What it turns out to be is 
great trash. Both. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, there's nothing like a like a good piece of crap, honestly. Um, or even if it's not crap, but you know, you know what I'm saying. Like something that you is is bad enough that it's still enjoyable in some way. Um, and that's about uh, is it? It's World War Two, and there's some the the trailers everywhere, so people have probably seen it. But that's about. Um, the, these American soldiers sort of land in Nazi territory and then realize that there's some experiments going on, right? Yep. Experiments that turn dead soldiers into zombies. Yes. Yes. Um, I'm excited to see that, though. I'm, I'm glad you didn't totally hate it, but that I, it's too bad that it isn't, like, you know, good, like, actually good, you know? Well, it, it, what I mean more by trash isn't that it's like, oh, it's so laughable, that mm. uh, it's just ridiculous, I hate this, and, mm-hmm. but somehow I love it. No, it has great production values. It's mostly practical effects. Mm-hmm. It has a lot of, it's much more funny, deliberately funny. It's not like, it's so laughably bad. It's it's intentionally, it knows what it is. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Bringing back soldiers that are, are dead and then back to life into these invincible thousand-year-old soldiers, apparently. Mm-hmm. Like, are basically immortal unless you put a grenade in their head and then they blow up. And that's one of the best scenes I've seen all year. Yeah, I it's mean, fantastic. it's a it, great punchline. It's a well-established fact that you, if you brain a zombie, they're they're gone. Um, yep. can't, you can't walk without a head. Um, yeah, I'm excited about that. That comes out fairly soon. So I'm, and the it, it does look from the trailers. It definitely looks really visually, sort of, um, maybe not lush, but like very gritty and detailed at at the very least. No, totally. The director is. Julius Avery comes mm-hmm. from like a short film background and more practical effects and he definitely with the budget that's put us at his disposal puts it all to full use and did a pretty good job with the ensemble action is a given it's all over the place yeah uh, but as a great sound it's very very intense yeah uh, but like I said the biggest thing I walked away with is it's a lot more it's a lot less serious than I thought it was going to be going for. Yeah. They totally know what they're doing, and it works. Yeah. No, I'm glad to hear that, because I, 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 it's such a silly premise that I, not maybe not silly, but absurd premise, um, that I, 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 every time I see the trailer, I'm like, that looks fun, but it might be a little, like, self-important, and I'm glad to hear it, it's not. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, it was my biggest surprise of the of that weekend, awesome. for sure. Awesome. Um, so that was day three. Day f- day four is next, right? Yes. So we'll skip over the first movie I saw. And I said that uh, The Perfection might be my favorite movie that, of what I've seen recently. Mm-hmm. But this next one, has it's really up there, too. It's The Night Comes for Us. Mm. And it's basically what people, the Raid fans, want at the Raid 3 this is as close as you're going to get. Hmm. It's called, uh, it's not directed by Gareth Evans. Of course, we already talked about him with Apostle, but it does have a lot of the same crew. And hmm. I, his name is blinking on me, but the, the lead actor and choreographer from The Raid, Iko. Iko Uwe, I think, or Uwe's. I actually don't know how to pronounce that, I, I'll, I, I confess. Yeah. I, first name, definitely know it's Iko. Uh, <laughs> Disappointment in Mile 22, uh, mm-hmm. one of the worst movies of the year. Right. Returns here with a fantastic action, uh, nonstop action movie. And if that's all you want, if you just want to see people's heads getting bashed in and uh, crowbars going into body parts that 
men wouldn't fathom. <laughs> and uh, it's just fan- it's, I love it. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's hard not to use that word when describing a movie from Fantastic Fest. It's really rough. It's um, it's so strange. It's just planted in there, isn't it? Yeah. So it's it's a basic revenge movie. It's a drug cartel, uh, Indonesian drug cartel, has a security team uh, called the, the 6C, uh, tongue twister, pronounced words differently. Uh, <laughs> and it, so the, it's a boilerplate uh, plate plot, mm-hmm. but it's, it's all about the action around it. You forget about what's around it. It's just all about watching these fantastically staged action sequences. Yeah. And the, the body count is probably 500. It's ridiculous. <laughs> is it, um, maybe this is a tough question to sort of answer, but is there some, uh, like a kung, uh, sort of kung fu movie or anything like that that you would uh, say it's like? Is it, I mean, are we talking like John Wick here with like sort of stylish but but highly violent? Or is it like, you know, something from Hong Kong cinema where it's just sometimes the the, the body count is almost comically high? So I throw it with between John Wick and the latter that you just described. Yeah. The body count, I think, is higher than John Wick. Mm. Uh, but the violence is pretty much the same. And coming from the raid kind of visuals as well, like I, I mentioned earlier, it's a lot of one-shots not cutting back and forth between Jason Bourne or uh, Captain America type of mm-hmm. action. It's a lot of, let's focus on the the performance, the yeah. art of fake fighting. Yeah, uh, it's very. There's only one scene in it that is this tracking shot of the two main characters going back and forth, trading punches. That you can kind of tell that they're not actually exchanging anything. Mm-hmm. Blows. You really are just swept away by the madness of this all. Just being caught in these tight rooms and all this blood being shed everywhere but these these invincible these two invincible forces they're both unstoppable forces not it's not the joker batman thing it's (laughs) batman versus batman yeah (laughs) it's something like um have you ever seen hard-boiled with chow yun fat no i haven't okay there's a that's the kind of thing I was sort of thinking of where it's like he um, there's a scene where he's like literally doing a big fight scene in a hospital and also carrying a baby at the same time it's wonderful um, okay no I've seen this thing though yeah yeah that's fairly famous um, but yeah like that's I love that kind of film and unfortunately it's the kind of thing that doesn't always like uh, translate to f- people here because unless you've like watched a lot of Hong Kong cinema or, or you know it, this is from Singapore but or was filmed there, or Indonesian, actually, no, it's in Indonesia, I'm sorry, um, but, yeah, like, they, um, it's a totally different style of action, and I, but it's also, it's always so impressive, like, the, um, the uncut takes, it's like, you know that they're faking things in, in something like, as much as I love it, like, Bourne, or, or, or Captain America, but, like, this, it's like, you know, this is one stunt guy kicking the crap out of a bunch of other stunt guys, and, and it's like, it's such a feat of physical and, like, even filming, um, like, prowess. Like, that's what people like so much about um, Daredevil on Netflix is that it sort of takes that style of action and really runs with it. Right. Uh, other thing I have to just mention is uh, Joe Taslim, uh, the guy from Star Trek Beyond and Fast and Furious 6, mm-hmm. he's the other co-star along this. He's fantastic. He might be my favorite thing from the movie, oh. even above Eco. Who is 
a huge fan favorite of action. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, that looks so exciting. I, so, I, and I hope it gets like a big release here, but I don't know. And it will because it was a surprise Netflix film. Oh, I didn't realize that. No one knew. Yeah. <laughs> and then we heard the bum bum, and then we all knew it was a Netflix movie. Yeah. So. Yeah, it doesn't even have that. I was trying to look up when it was coming out. It doesn't even have that info on there. So, well, thank God. That's great. I'm I'm happy I get to see that. All right. Um, yeah, that's great. I can't wait to see that then. Um, so, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. So that was the last thing I saw that night. And then trail into my last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, just another two movies. Sadly, I uh, wasn't able to get into a couple before, but... I got into my two of my most anticipated event of the whole thing. It was Jonah Hill's directorial debut, mid '90s. Yes. And Gaspar Noé's climax, which I've been anticipating ever since I saw the great response from Cannes. And I will start with climax. I described on Twitter, it is the greatest movie that I don't like. <laughs> that's fascinating. I that's I just I mean put that on the poster, you know. <laughs> Um, I really appreciate everything it does. It does it so well. Mm-hmm. It has the signature Gaspar Noé style, mm-hmm. this fragmented narrative, yeah. like starting from the end and then working our way to the beginning. We actually watched the credits roll all the way to the end to the copyright thing and the thanks to, and then it comes ju- jumps to the beginning of the movie. Wow. Really interesting cut up. Um, because once you, you get to the end of the movie, there's it literally goes black. Wow. No credits or anything. Wow. So you already saw the credits. That's crazy. Because that's almost, I mean, it's almost like um, films before like 1970, essentially, where like, you know, you watch an old movie and, and they start with the credits and then it just ends at some point. Um, right. But yeah, he, he really likes to, and I believe Matt and I talked about this a little bit um, in the TIFF podcast, um, that he really likes a sort of um, like a challenging narrative structure and, and to really sort of make people uncomfortable in a way oh for sure and it, i mean it definitely made me uncomfortable mm-hmm. more so just because i didn't know where it's going and it's a very unconventional narrative that follows basically in real time this dance company in france and we're introduced to it no way it introduces the movie as an unabashedly french film mm-hmm. whatever you want to take that as this is what it is and so it just turns into this huge opening dance sequence that you think, oh, this is just going to be a one shot and somehow this is going to turn into a plot. It's a spectacular scene, mm-hmm. but then it just turns into all the dance troupe members bickering at each other. And eventually that bickering turns into accusations of uh, basically murder because they, their sangria wine was put, uh, spiked with LSD. So now they're all tripping, and we got about 20 people from all different walks of life. Yeah. And to go on top of it, you have this little six-year-old that decided he thought it was fruit punch and wanted to drink oh. too. Oh, no. Not he's in the action also. And uh, he gets stuck in a closet, and now the attention turns to trying to save him. But at the same time, everyone's threatening each other's lives because they think everyone else is the one that did it. <laughs> So it just turns into this huge, huge fight of who spiked it. And so it sounds like it could be a mystery, but all it is is a, a means of survival movie. Hmm. And 
even more than Hold the Dark, it's a movie about survival. Hmm. And it just turns into this just wild fever dream. Yeah. More like a nightmare. And it's just perfectly done. But it's, you just walk away, or I walked away without feeling anything learned or felt yeah. beyond appreciating how great this guy is at making movies. Right. Yeah, I mean, his biggest problem is how indulgent he is in his own sort of vision, and and I don't necessarily think, like, um, of, like a film, an artist has to make their stuff accessible to the audience, but it is nice to be, feel like you're not just, like, sitting through someone's, like, weird daydream. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Mm. No, I do, and that's why I walked away with him. Like, I get your... I don't know exactly what you're trying to tell me here. It's a pretty interesting story, but and how you did it, like I said, it's fantastic. And honestly, flawless filmmaking. Mm-hmm. The last 20 minutes, I've never seen someone shoot completely in neon, mm-hmm. shot upside down, and without a cut. Jesus, really? 20 minutes? Holy Christ. What felt like 20 minutes, yeah. at least. Um, <laughs> the finale is shot completely upside down and oh close up. And there, I'm sure there had to be an invisible cut in there, but it looks perfect. Wow. It's, it's great. Wow. But that, I didn't like it. Yeah, I, I feel that way about a lot of his stuff. Like, Because, um, again, he makes stuff that's really deliberately sort of, I don't know, trying to beat up the viewer in a way. And, and like you know like love is fascinating for what it is of the sort of like prestige pornography 3d situation um but it it ultimately means very little and but i think he always seems to think it means more than it does in some ways does that make sense um yeah as far as like i said in the intro that this is a unabashedly french film he (laughs) knows what this movie is about but doesn't seem many other people do. Yeah. Although a lot of critics like it as a high score in Rotten Tomatoes, but yeah, but I've people, seen people just appreciate how he does his things. Yeah, critics do love him, but I do love that is a good point. Like, a French film is if you have to qualify it as anything, especially the dr- dramas, it's it's very much like here's an ending, but it really isn't any sort of <laughs> thesis statement on what you just watched. So like, figure yeah. it out, kid. Um. But yeah, I'm excited to see that even if I it does feel a little bit like eating your vegetables. It gets punctuated. One other interesting thing is, and it's very, very dark and uh, nihilistic in its outlook of the world, has these title cards that punch up and these quotes that says, like, death is a uh, sensational experience or a spectacular experience. Mm. That's its main thesis. Mm-hmm. And then between it, it's life is kind of like this dreadful experience but death is the spectacular experience you'll experience in life yeah that's kind of its thesis and it so it's kind of dreadful um but like i said i just can't get over its craft yeah yeah no i'm excited to see it again for sure um or at all um and then uh that's that was your final day right that was my final final day uh i had a four o'clock flight and i got back to my uh I probably been at two because the movie was at midnight, so yeah. that was it. Yeah. So I kind of regretted it. <laughs> it wasn't as good as I wanted it to be. Yeah, that sucks when you like really, you know, put put your put your heart into something and but to put the work in, and then you're like, God damn it, I waited for this. Um, yeah. I feel that way about movies I pay for sometimes. Um, <laughs> now that I have to pay for movies again, thanks, Movie Pass. Um, but we have sort of held back on the the 
sort of biggest um, release uh, or screening at the whole fest, which was the secret screening. You were you were guessing it was going to be either Suspiria or what was the other one you were guessing it was going to be? So I guessed it was going to be Glass. After last oh. year, last year I even going to last year's Fantastic Fest, I guess this year's would be Glass because I knew it was coming out. Yeah. The next year, Split was a surprise screening mm-hmm. in 2014. Yeah. And it was actually a surprise, surprise. No one even knew it was a thing. Existed, yes. So, yeah. So that came out of nowhere. So yeah. we were thinking, oh, well, and I said that he was done with the 13th pass of the movie. So we're like, it should be done. Yeah. It's going to happen. Yeah. It didn't. Yeah. I've... And there was another movie I thought it could be. It was very late entry that I thought it could be. I thought it might be Hellboy. Oh. I thought it'd be very interesting. That's another... At the time, it was a January release. Yeah. But now we just got word that it got pushed back. Yeah. So, obviously that wasn't it. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, all of those seemed equally likely, but I was like, damn it, it's going to be Suspiria. Um, and, and it was indeed Suspiria. And you wrote a, a, a very good review on the site that I read and I fully agree with. Um, f- to let everybody know, I've, I've seen it, but I can't talk about it. So, um, I'm really just going to have Sean talk about it and then tacitly agree. <laughs> so uh, you guys uh, realized it was Suspiria, um, and what what do you what what's your experience with the original? So my experience with the original is really recent. I took a a semester class on the history of horror movies. Oh, that sounds that, great. So I was, yes, and I was introduced to the giallo mm-hmm. uh, genre through Suspiria, mm-hmm. and. It's a very trippy movie, the original, mm-hmm. 1977. It's a huge influence on Nick Wending Refn. Mm-hmm. These just primary colors just thrown all over the place. It's this dreamlike atmosphere. Yeah. And the this one is the remake, or the better term is a reincarnation. Yes. Is a, a complete departure from that. It's completely grounded in reality. In 1977, the same year the first one came out, 1977 Berlin. Uh, about and it's much more explicit about everything that's out there. The first one, you couldn't tell if things were a dream, real or not. What characters' motivations were, if a character was what they said they were. But this one, we're told right away from a a, a frenzied Chloe Grace Moretz that. This dance company she's a part of is actually a coven yep. of witches. Yep. And that's when it just turns into this this journey following this starry-eyed uh, American girl, played uh, Susie, same name as the original character, but totally different ter- character in general, just the same name, played by Dakota Johnson, who is turning into somewhat of a muse for the director. Uh, I'm calling you by your name. Of course. Yes. Luca. Luca Guadagnino. She was in, um, for people who don't know it, because I, not a lot of people saw it, and I've seen a lot of people being like, oh, I'm worried about her in his film. It's like, well, this is their second one together. Um, She was in A Bigger Splash with um, Rafe Fiennes, uh, Tilda Swinton, and uh, Matthias Schoenertz. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, Which was a remake of La Piscine, which is a French film. but she was I, – I loved her in that. And I, I'm a big Dakota fan. I, it's well-documented all over the site. Um, 
Um, and she was so fascinating in that because she plays this sort of like, she's supposed to be playing like very, very young, younger than she actually is, but she totally mm -hmm. sells it. Um, and uh, she is such a, not to like spoil that movie necessarily, but she has to do this thing where she's like sort of an ingenue, innocent type, but there's definitely like something dark underneath. And then by the end of it, you're like, Jesus, this woman's a viper, you know? Um, exactly. Yeah, and it's she is. Uh, it, there's a sort of similar thing going on here, realistically, because of you know just the world that it's in. Like, um, y you're not sure if there if Chloe Grace Moritz is crazy necessarily. I mean, you know because you're watching Suspiria, but it's possible that it could be in her mind. You know, uh, the therapist character certainly seems to think so. Mm -hmm. Which is really interesting because we you can kind of tell her something off about this therapist yeah who we've learned is played by tilda swinton in yes. a bunch of makeup yes so the only male male character in the movie is played by a woman yes and that speaks loudly like through a megaphone yeah. that this movie is about it's women empowerment and taking back yes things that were lost and generations and a new generation taking back what uh what's holding the back and so Yet again, huge, uh, on the nail uh, movie that's released this year. Yeah. Uh, just speaking in its terms, and it's much more political, mm -hmm. using an anti-Nazi backdrop as its, uh, as its platform to advance the plot even more. Yeah. It might go over a lot of people's heads. It will go over a lot of people's heads. Yeah. Um, to say that it should try to dumb itself down. It should. I hope that people that willingly go out there will at least accept and maybe try to go learn a little bit more that they don't understand because there's there's so many layers going on here. Even without its politics, I believe it's one of the best movies of the year. It's, yes. It's fantastically stitched together. Yeah. Uh, it, Dakota Johnson. I don't know how much of the dancing she did herself, but what they capture is fantastic. There's one scene that cuts between her and another. A uh, person in a separate room that's going through these convulsions because the witches are using Dakota Johnson's character, Susie, as the means of conducting their spell on this cast out uh, member of the group. Yeah, that, that, that scene is remarkable for so many reasons, editing wise and, and dance wise and a, a lot of it. There's a lot more dance in this one than the original, um, but, and yes. it's used incredibly. Um, it's, it's, it's incredible. Um, that's a fantastic scene and, and really something that like, I, I'm sure the audience you were watching it with felt the same way as mine did, but like, it changes the, um, the energy in the room, you know? Mm, for sure. It sets the tone and mm -hmm. definitely tells you that what you were told about in the first scene is pretty real. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, the the first one is much shorter than this one, and and is certainly more oblique up until, um, well, it's it's not true necessarily. Like something happens at the beginning of that one, and then there's a long sort of space in the middle, and then stuff happens at the end. Um, but this one is sort of like a, a a very a sort of gradual climb that like every once in a while tells you like reassures you that like this is the crazy ass film you're watching. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Um, so, go yeah, ahead. Like you said, the first one, there's this event at the beginning that kind of throws you off and 
we don't really have this here. And I say they kind of play with that for sure because there's this scene where Susie uh, is in this room, this hotel room with, uh, I forget, Mia Goff. Yeah, Mia Goff. And it feels like the, like the same scene that I think you're referring to. I thought someone was going to die in that scene because it happens in the first movie. But the complete departure from that, very, very little plot points carry over. Yeah. Especially the the whole Giallo movement always had these these male characters yeah. disfigured or, or hurt. Here, I've already established there's zero characters like that to even do away with. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I think I think you hit the nail on the head with the um, the sort of female empowerment aspect of it. Like, I saw it like two days uh, before the Kavanaugh hearing, which f- felt like a lot of like. Um, like women's voice, like every every woman's voice just felt amplified in that moment, and there was a lot of anger going on. So it it was a really interesting moment to watch it in. Um, and I think it's going to be. You're right. It's like it's so like on the. It's the perfect time for that remake um, or reinterpretation, if you will, um, because it's dealing with a lot of what's going on in the world right now, especially like for an American audience. Um, uh, exactly. so it's, I, I, I think you're right. You're totally right. Like there are people who are going to miss it or be sort of, um, maybe in denial about it or like push back against it because of how sort of unabashedly female empowerment it is. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I think it's going to, I'm excited to see what a wider audience of people thinks about it because when it, you know, Venice, there was, people loved it, and Fantastic Fest people loved it, and, you know, it's, I, I've never been in a more crowded screening room, ever. So, people are really excited about it. Uh, yeah, and one thing I was really surprised at, I'm looking at, bringing back to the Suspiria Rotten Tomato score, it mm-hmm. was like at 59% out of Venice, and now it's at 74%. Yeah. So, it hit a good crowd at Fantastic Fest, or... We're starting to see that there's a little bit more uh, appeal here. Yeah. And not to go too much of what everyone's saying, but 74% in Rotten Tomatoes is pretty good, but it has an 8.6 average. Yeah. That tells you that everyone that likes it loves it, but there's others that just absolutely hate it. Yeah. It's going to be divisive in the way that um, you mentioned it, I believe, in the review that, that Mother was, because it's doing the same, not the same kind of thing, but... Um, it does feel like spiritually similar, if you will. Very, and it also throws you, especially the final act, uh, yeah. when everything goes crazy, <laughs> and it's gonna throw. If you weren't already liking it, you're gonna hate it. Yeah. At the end. Yeah, um, it's like for me the I, I the original Suspiria can be a little too oblique for me, but um, man, Guadagnino does not absolutely does not take that same sort of cue here. He he fucking goes for it. Um, the filmmaking though I think is incredible in, in many ways um, what did you think of like you talked a little bit about the color palette being very muted here uh, what did you think about the cinematography and uh, I think the, one of the most remarkable things about it is the sound work oh for sure I mean the sound work layers so much into this world and I mentioned in, the, in my review that this muted design in late 70s Berlin mm-hmm. just really separates itself and gives a sense that this is actually happening. These witches are real. This isn't this hype atmosphere 
these people exist in this hidden world, but it's still this it's still real to the to the common viewer. It looks like maybe uh, I'm pulling from Spielberg's kind of uh, look from Munich in 2005, kind of mm. same atmosphere. Uh, it feels very much like a late 70s uh, thriller, spy thriller of sorts. Yeah, and yeah. It throws me in immediately. Yeah, paranoia is definitely a big part of the first one, and definitely certainly this one as well. Um, the it, the big color in most of this one is is red. Honestly, like. Dakota Johnson has that red dyed hair, and it's that sets a tone, and and it follows through the rest of it. I mean, any, every time you see yeah. that, there's the, that's the one color I think that pops throughout. I don't think there's another color beyond brown, gray, and black and red. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, because it's like it rain. Work. It's raining the whole time. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that doesn't sound appealing. Yeah. The way that the set design is made and the staging of all the actresses. Mm-hmm. Oh, there is yellow. There's like a tannish yellow, but yeah. that's more brown. Yeah. Um, that dance room. Yep. But this, this room of mirrors gives this whole new sense. Like, how the how did they shoot that scene um, without? being seen at all yeah that was camera. that's a great I, there were times when I was like the, everything is so engaging that's you know there's so much going on in every shot but even there's so many mirror shots and it's like my god they must have had to CGI some of some of the cameras out because it's every every room has a mirror in it and then there's even more throwbacks to the 70s thriller type like Brian De Palma things with a, a split diopter you got dual focus yes. going on in some scenes which I also have to mention uh, earlier, the perfection uses a lot too. Mm. So that's oh. very interesting. Yeah, a, as well. a split diopter for people who don't know what that is um, is if you look at it, Brian De Palma uses it all the time, where you have uh, two people, let's say, or two things you want to put in the frame, and you want both of them to be in focus. You basically split the the lens and make them both in focus at the same time, and then you'll often see like a little blurry line in the middle to tell you that they had to split the diopter to make it so that each person was in focus fully and and in the shot basically. Um, but yeah, you're right. There there is that one shot in there that's that's like, oh, this is that's like that's De Palma right there. <laughs> um, what did you think of the music? Tom York did the music um, uh, for this and it uh, the score is one of the most famous things about the original. For sure. I mean, uh, I can't think of the name Ghoul. I can't think of the, the ones that did the first one. Is this band from the 70s. Yeah, I can't. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll take a look at it and, and say so in a second. Uh, but Tom York goes, like the rest of the movie, completely opposite direction. Stuff is really loud and brash. Uh, presence in the movie, it just, it just underscores and only enters when it needs. For a two and a half hour movie, it felt like there was only 30 minutes of music. Yeah. Maybe a little bit more than that that he hid in there, because like you mentioned, the sound design is is fantastic. Mm-hmm. So it could have just really immersed you without even knowing it. Yeah. That said, uh, his buddy Johnny Greenwood, I still think is is more is better uh, film composer than he is. But that's just because I'm a huge Johnny Greenwood fan. But the two. Being from Radiohead, you can totally tell there's uh, similarities, and I wonder how much he may have consulted. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I was. I mean, they made quite a big deal about um, the score uh, being by Tom York, 
long before it came out. So it, there, it, but it is so there. It's surprising that there's um, like Greenwood scores are often very lush and and quite present. Like you notice them, which is not a, a dig necessarily, but it it is just there's they're often so lovely. Like um, uh, what's it called? Um, oh God, the the movie about. <laughs> Um, with Daniel Day Lewis about clothes, no about. Oh, okay. y- y- go ahead. Sorry, yeah. Phantom yeah, Phantom Thread. I don't know why I couldn't remember it right now. Um, that score is like insane. It's all, it's a character almost. Um, yeah. But yeah, like every like everything else in this film, the score is quite sparse. Very much. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I can't sing the praises enough. Uh, it's just fantastic all around. Mm-hmm. it's not just it's not a horror movie I said in my review I don't find it scary at all uh, and I'm someone that says The Shining isn't scary I don't think I've really ever been scared by a movie in the same way other people say they are wow because I feel I know their same beats and I know it's a movie mm-hmm. so I, I just, I'm able to separate, separate myself but it's it's thrilling and it's engaging yeah and it's what's horrifying is what's happening right the character's not just the events yeah, yeah. The, I was uh, trying to think about it because I'm going to be writing a piece about it um, closer to when it comes out. Uh, actually, probably a little after it comes out because I'm, I want to spoil some things and, and sort of dig into it in a different way rather than review it. Because, I, I mean, your review was, uh, honestly, I was like, well, I don't, th- that's done. <laughs> but, yeah, I wanted to sort of write a piece on it. And it, it, the genre of it is it is hard to describe. It, it's technically horror I suppose but there's a lot of like body horror stuff um and it's also paranoia and psychological and there's fantastical elements you know of magic in it but it's not like it's not like something like the witch you know um right where magic is really present and it's more elemental here and and often very physical based um we should probably mention that the um the choreographer, who I thought was probably Bobby Jean, um, someone I wrote about for a movie called Bobby Jean uh, um, last year, who's got this sort of um, very... It, the way I describe Herb dancing is that it, it's like the physical manifestation of like primal scream therapy. Um, and that's how this felt a little bit. Um, but it's someone I actually hadn't heard of before. Um, it's Damien Gillet, I think is the way you would pronounce that. Yeah, yeah, most likely. Um, the dancing is uh, quite something, and, and definitely part of the biggest scenes in it. I mean, the, there's there's moments in it that look like you know like a Hieronymus Bosch <laughs> with the way the bodies are sort of placed in the frame. Honestly, what I'll kind of compare it to is like is people that go to the opera. It's like mm. you can't always understand what's going on. Sure. Um, but you just know when a note is hit right. You mm. know when there's a a change in the in the tone. Yeah. That, a movement that works. Yeah. It, this this is pretty abstract dance. Mm. But just you know it works. Yeah. It's not supposed to be happening. Right. It's very modern in a way that like the original it's it's ballet, um, but this is yeah. definitely quite modern. Um, but yeah, it's interesting you say the, the horror thing, I, I think it certainly scared um, some people in my audience. Um, the guy next to me actually jumped 
up out of his seat at one point and then cowered in his seat for the rest of the film. So Okay. Yeah. Um, I think I know what spot it might have been. Yeah. It's near the end. Yeah. 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 There's a there's a kind of like a David Lynch type figure. Mm-hmm. Um, not someone that looks like David Lynch, but someone from the world of his movies. Yeah. That I think is clearly inspired by that. Yeah. Um so it's more disturbing than it is scary, and that's where I think the lines of being a horror movie are blurred. Yeah. And that's a good call. Disturbing is the right way to put it. Like it's it's um it's something that I, I think is gonna linger with people. It's something that I'm still thinking about since then. Yeah. And the only two movies that I walk away from the festival thinking this long about is The Perfection and Suspiria. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm happy to report. Yeah, I mean, that's nothing. That's that's a quite a you know a, a, a an expression of of confidence in both of them, and it makes me excited to see you know the perfection. And and I'll I'd love to see Suspiria again. I think that's something that's gonna because it's really dense and so long that like there's so much to look. Yeah, like but it, I will say, did you feel the time very much? I didn't think it was. I, I did feel it a mm. lot because after four days oh. or going into four days of movies and working on just a couple hours of sleep, yeah. uh, maybe like six hours, I definitely closed my eyes for, so I missed like maybe 20 seconds uh, at a time for a few times throughout the movie. <laughs> so I did feel it um, just because of the atmosphere in general. Yeah, that makes and sense. I got one of the last seats. My neck was crammed up. I was in the very front row. So uh, I, could def- I hope I see it again in theaters. But I'm very wary of uh, how big of a release it's going to get. Yeah. Going through Amazon. Yeah. They. Yeah. I. I think it's. I think. Yeah, that's a good point. Actually, sometimes they're they sort of they know it's going to be released on their own platform, so it's they can they can stand to not release something too wide. But I don't know. This one seems like the buzz is decent enough, and the. Um, Suspiria, the original, is such a cult, not I mean, not even cult, I mean, such a classic to many people um, that I don't know. I think it's still, they still might push it pretty wide. I wouldn't be surprised if it starts small and then gets pushed wider just to see how people react to it, you know? Right. I hope it comes up the 26th, I believe. Uh, it's, I think it's November 2nd. Um, Maybe it's just two cities on this. Yeah, I think it's it's a very small release originally, and then it goes wider. Um, yeah, like a New York, LA thing. Yeah, it's the twenty. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a U.S. Uh, the U.S. release for the twenty is the twenty sixth technically, so it's like New York, LA, and then um, the second is the wider release for most people. Well, I had a little bit of a debate with someone after a couple people after we saw it. They said it's going to make a lot of money. And I said, if there's if Jennifer Lawrence couldn't make the mother give its money back, there's no way this does. Yeah, that's. I mean, I think you're spot on. Like, you know, Jennifer Lawrence, Dakota's been in some stuff, but she's not Jennifer Lawrence. Um, no. That's. I mean, I love them both equally, but marketing-wise, they're they're different people. Like, I I've seen George not to put him on blast, <laughs> on on his Facebook was just like ugh Dakota like oh I was excited for Suspiria until I saw that Dakota Johnson was in it and she's from and I realized she's from those um those Fifty Shades movies and I was like first of all how dare you, um, but yeah I, I think people have a very different idea of her and 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 this movie will absolutely change that idea but 
uh, Mother is, and the way it sort of bombed at the box office um, definitely is a, you know, a, probably a good analogy for how this is going to go. But I don't know. I think people have more um, goodwill towards the, fr- the the original, so that'll help it. Like, Mother was its own thing, so it just sort of had to get be- beaten to death by, by people watching it. But I, I love Mother. I, I thought that movie was great. I, <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> so. I mean, that's my favorite or one of my favorites from last year, too. And yeah. So it makes sense that this is both in our top yeah. list for this year so far. It's... Yeah, it's very similar sensibilities. Mm-hmm. So anyone that hated Mother, I'm sure, is not going to like this. It's going to be very large. There might be some people that think this works, but Mother didn't. Yeah. But by and large, it's for the same people. Yeah. No, I fully agree. Um, and that that is basically uh, that's everything you saw. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about, or is are you uh, are we just suspiring it at the very end? <laughs> no, we can. We're good with Suspiria at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't think there wasn't anything that I really missed out on. Mm-hmm. As far I heard some good things about some smaller movies. Yeah, there'll be other festivals down the road that get them. Nothing. Yeah, no, I'm excited for people to see Suspiria and talk about it. Like, oh, I'm sadly, sh- I didn't get to see the closing night film, which was uh, Bad Night at El Royale. Oh, which yeah. I've heard nothing but great things about. Yeah, I wish I could report. I'm seeing that. Um, Next Wednesday, actually, I got a, a, a early screening ticket for it. I'm very excited. Um, I hope it's good because it again more Dakota. I, I I just want more Dakota all the time. How how wonderful of her to give oh, us two yeah. movies to to watch her in. <laughs> I forgot she's in it. Yep, yep. I, I she's like the number one reason I'm seeing it. No, that's not true. I like her and like Cynthia Erivo, and it it might be interesting, but you never know with that kind of trailer. It could be great or it could be a piece of shit. Well, I know there's some pretty uh, tough critics to satisfy that liked it, so yeah. I it's a good, good time. Yeah, the buzz has been very good. Um, what else, Do you have anything coming up on the site that people want should know about? Um, I, they should look for your interview with everybody from The Perfection at some point. Um, but do you have any TV or anything coming up? Nothing yet. Uh, still working on... I'll uh, probably get the mid-90s review up. All right. Closer to the release. So... Nothing else major yet. Just working on that that piece for the production up to right. Cut my teeth in a little bit deeper. Yeah, I'm excited to read the mid '90s thing because I I don't know. I from what I've heard, I really liked Skate Kitchen this year, and and from what I've heard, that's the superior skateboarding film of the year. Mm. Um, I've heard good things about that as well. You should see that. It's wonderful. Um, but uh, yeah, I have. What do I have coming up? Oh, I will have. Probably two things this coming week, possibly three. Um, A Star is Born is coming out this week, which if anyone has listened to this podcast even once, they know that is the only film I care about right now. Um, <laughs> uh, and they're, you're all lucky that I didn't write a series of articles on every A Star is Born, let me tell you that much. Um, it came close. Um, but that is coming up this week. I'll probably have something out on that for Thursday. If I also have some time, I might throw um, a review out of uh, El Royale, Bad Times at the El Royale, because I'm actually seeing both of them the same night, uh, right, one right after the other, at uh, thanks to the courtesy and mercy of Alamo. Um, and then the day after that, um, I'm seeing an early screening of The Hate You Give, which is an adaptation of a um, young adult book that was is very 
timely and very good. Um, and I'm very excited about that because Amanda Sternberg is good and it's Regina Hall's second movie of the year and she plays mom, the mom in it. But And maybe, you know, she's not going to get as much to do as support the girls, but can't wait for it. Um, very excited. So those should both be coming out in the next week or so. Um, and then uh, in a couple weeks, um, we're going to, Matt and I are going to be back talking about uh, what he saw at uh, the New York Film Festival. We actually saw the opening night movie together, which was The Favorite. Um, so you're, you'll hear about that. Uh, that's Yorgos Lantimos' new film. Um, so you'll get to hear about that in uh, two weeks, I believe. Um, and, uh, yeah, thanks for uh, doing this, Sean. Yeah, no problem. Now you made me really jealous that you all saw the favorite because we really thought that was going to be a fantastic fest. Yeah. Oh, we're, we're going to, you and I are going to talk about it as soon as this is over. Everybody else has to wait. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and uh, tune in next time.